Thank you to our sponsors for supporting this episode of Troxel, Arc IT, NCARB, and Avail. We'll share more about them later on in the episode. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome Tom Chuparkov. Tom is the director of the O-Sports practice, and throughout the last decade, his main focus has been on public assembly, sport, and entertainment venues. Tom has extensive experience designing arenas, stadiums, and entertainment venues across the United States. He's filled many different roles throughout his career as an architect at firms including HKS, Disney, Populous, and as I mentioned earlier, he's currently with O-Sports, which is a division of Osborne Engineering. We originally met in New York City at the Accelerate AEC conference, where we gave talks about technology and architecture. His was all about creating complex building structures using prefab strategies, and I've put a link to that talk that he gave in the show notes. Tom is really fun to talk to, and he oozes passion for what he does, which I have to say is contagious. He is a positive force in the profession. In this episode, we talk about prefab as an architectural strategy, architectural structures that can be erected and later taken apart, the notion of thriving on problem solving, thinking about architectural projects at a deeper level when it comes to delivering them via prefab, the point at which he began thinking about using prefab as a strategy, why he pursued it and continues to pursue it. We also talk about technology as an enabler to the adaptability of his firm and more. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Tom Chuparkov. Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to see you again. Yeah, likewise. It's been a couple of years. I think you said uh, Seattle was the last time we saw each other. Yeah, it was uh, a year before COVID. That's right. A year before the Blur's Day. Blur's Day. Yeah. March 13th. Man, so you, uh, you're you a practicing architect in Florida, and I thought it would be great to have you on the show because you have this, you told me this before, and now, now I think it's on even your LinkedIn profile, but you say architecture is your hobby. And I think that's ironic for a lot of people who work in the field of architecture, <laughs> but it's a great attitude. And it, you, you definitely have like this contagious attitude. So just wh- where's that come from? Well, um, you know, I've, 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 I've had a lot of different opportunities to do different things and, and, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up in the best environments and, you know, I wasn't exposed to a lot of stuff. And, you know, I, I, you know, uh, you know, I always joke on myself because, you know, it really starts like when I was a kid, I always just get picked on. You know what I mean? Because I was always little and, you know, I'm a, sh- I'm a shorter guy. And I learned very quickly that if I make a joke about me first, if you make the joke, you're just late to the party. And then I realized that and I, I was in the Air Force and I, I really found mine. This was like late 90s. And I really kind of found that I really thrived and was more successful as a human being when I was just always having fun. Right. And and even in emotional, immense situations of you know being an 18 year old kid in Hungary. Right. As an example, 
you can still have fun, right? And when you have fun, other people have fun, and then it builds better camaraderie and better trust, right? So, so you know, fast forward, and then I really just fell in love with buildings, and um, and I always just I always just tried to to you know find something as a career that that I could have fun in, and I didn't treat it as a job. And I and for twenty four years, I don't feel like I have a job. I feel like I get paid to you know do my hobby. And I try to act and perform that way every day. Yeah. And, and so, so do you, I mean, I'm just interested in the, your self-talk when it comes to that. Is it now to the point where you said you kind of developed this as a skill earlier? Now, is it just normal for you or do you still have to like intention, put intention to it? No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> somebody called, <laughs> somebody called me blue cheese the other day. They said, you either love you or you hate you. Right. <laughs> because because I'm like always high energy and I know it's not intentional. Like sometimes I have to intentionally like just put the brakes on. Right. Because I'm just uh, no, it's just it's just my just my personality. So you are extroverted by nature. Extremely. Yeah, it's interesting because the firm that I was at, I, most of the people in the firm were introverts. We, we kind of just did this, you know, just took stock of what was going on. And then there's, there's people like me that ambivert, I'm like right on the line. And so, you know, like I do podcasts, I can be on video, I can present, I was a designer, I presented and walked people through to build consensus. And, um, it, it wasn't scary to me. Like it is, you know, a lot of people have that stage fright kind of thing and they don't, they don't want to be up in front of anybody ever. Right. Um, and, and so on one level, like I can see people who have to turn it on, right. To, to go into those situations. And then when it's over, they're like, Oh my God, thank God it's over. Right. Um, and then there's other people who are just like, like you said, you're just always on. Yeah, no, I, 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 I thrive in that environment. You know, Evan, one time I was blessed for three years of my life to work for Disney. I worked on fantasy land and we were interviewing for that project, a, a, a gentleman that is still a, a, a very good acquaintance of mine. You know, here we are 12 years later after fantasy land and after the interview, he sat back. Now, this is this was in 2008, right? So we're talking a solid, you know, 13 years later. And even 13 years ago, he sat back at the end of the interview and he's like, "Whoa, you're like the Billy Mays of architecture." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was classic. What are you selling, man? I'm selling. Yeah, architecture. you know, it's just like just high octane. You know, I've always I've always been high octane. But uh, but again, I mean, it goes back to like you know, in our business, and you know this, it's like. People should hire people they want to work with, not who they have to work with. Makes a huge difference over the life of a project. These projects take so long. Right. I was just with a client yesterday and she says to me that, you know, she was talking about the project and how she's, she described her design professional partner as family. And she says that, you know, it's been 15 years since we've been talking about this and you've had that in your career, I'm sure, where it's five, six, seven years is the, the project is in ideation. And, and that's when my, my thing that we met in May was this particular client in California was like, do I, why do I have to spend 40? Like, can we spend 20? Like, is that an option? And I said, you know what? Let's talk to people. Set the context for that story. So, so, cause, cause I know what you're talking about, but the audience isn't going to know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, I love baseball and soccer. Those are the two types of sports that I like to and golf. Don't forget golf, and golf, and golf. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I haven't done any golf courses. Right. Um, cause that's a whole different animal, but, uh, yeah, lots of golf. I golf more than anything. 
so that we were working in San Diego and there was a client, the team actually still exists. Um, they're, they're, they're getting off the ground, doing well. It's the San Diego, um, 1904. Uh, so they, they, um, they, they, this was, you know, 2017, 18. And, you know, they were coming into the league as an expansion team, as many others, uh, soccer's obviously grown in this country, um, at a, at a, at a radical pace. And, you know, so they were, talking to us about, you know, what other clubs are doing in other stadiums. And, you know, I shared with them, you know, my experiences at, you know, ML uh, major league soccer clubs and other types of facilities, spring training, baseball and all that stuff. And, and they're like, look, like we, we are growing, we're growing a brand, we're launching a team and we need a place to play. So, you know, they're very cognizant financially speaking that like it would be, it would be silly to do all of that, and put, you know, put a lot more attention to one over the other because they're all equally as important. The way that the consumer absorbs the product is just as important as, you know, consuming, you know, the players to be a part of the team, right? Like, and then how the brand gets rolled out. What's the kit look like? And all of these other nuances. And, and I said, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you, you know, Disney built cruise ships using prefabrication in the 70s. The Contemporary Hotel, which still is alive today, was built using prefabrication techniques. And and it's like, you know, when when, you know, I'm always pretty candid about like, like, you know, the fact that I draw something, give it to a contractor, the contractor gives it to a sub, you know, trade, that trade draws it again, gives it back to the contractor, gives it back to me is asinine. Like, I can't even believe we still do that. You know what I mean? It's such a waste of resources for the client. I know why we do it. Right. Because it's it's risk. It's like who owns the risk and, you know, how, how the licensing works and who holds that ownership. I get it. And that's all very, very important stuff. But it doesn't have to be that way. So they were pretty open client. And they were just like, all right, go look. And, you know, so we peeked around the corner and another corner and another corner. And we started talking to people. And that's how I met Ian and the guys from from Hypar and and uh, what put me at Accelerate, put me apart because I wanted to talk to like minded people about the process to provide options for people. And, you know, it's, it, it became very, very interesting to me. Um, and as an architect, I like to learn. So learning's a hobby. So then it's like, you know, like now I'm in sport. Now I'm like learning about elevating the environment we live in by using sustainable tactics. And a lot of those things are the ability for a building to go up and a building to come down. Right. And, uh, in a responsible way. So, so that was the context of, you know, and that was, again, I was in 2017 when I started really exploring the idea. So they came to you and they thought what they wanted was about $40 million. And they, and, and somehow through the conversation, they said, Hey, is there a way to do it for less so that we can use our money wisely in all of these other areas that we need to spend it on to build the team for the future? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you look at the PGA and you look at golf tournaments and outings, you know, you know, domestically and internationally, you know, there's a plethora of good examples of, you know, temporary environments, right. You know, like you, you know, the waste management classic and, 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 and like the, the, that, that part three is the most, you know, celebrated hole in golf, essentially um, in tournament play. And, you know, it's all temporary. Right. So it's like, you know, there's there's different levels of temporary and there's different levels of prefabrication. You know, like I, I remind people when and everyone always says the same thing. And, you know, some of the people that I've, I've you know, been colleagues with have had the same opinion about like, well, we're you know, we're not doing Marriott hotels. And I'm like, well, 
that's fine. We're not doing Marriott hotels, but Marriott's doing Marriott hotels and Marriott figured to do what they needed to do using prefabrication, right? Like, like you just have to adapt it and modify it intelligently to solve your problem. Right. And, uh, and then I like to remind people, you know, when, when, when builders build hospitals, all the headwalls are traditionally pre-manufactured. They're pre-assembled. Why? Because they're super complicated. Because every headwall has to be the same for obvious reasons, right? And, you know, companies like, I'll give them credit, like PCL created that plant up in Toronto called Agile. Like they created a whole fabrication plant, not because they wanted to get into module construction per se, but they know that it's easier and better for them to take a drawing that you and I put together, figure out how to redraw it, repilled it so they can fabricate it easier. And I think that's genius. And I think that with technology, automation's easier controls easier, right? Like the way that we draw. I mean, obviously you've seen um, the industry has seen, you know, how like, you know, now like CAD's like a, a bad word, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like everything's three-dimensional, at least. Especially know. for this audience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's, it's, it's only going to, ex, ex, you know, uh, expedite the, the, what we do and how we do it. And, you know, I, I, I've just always sourced out to, you know, try to be at least on the front end of it, or at least inspire people or try to people, to look at it differently. So take us down this road into into prefab and, and where you guys are and how you got there, because it sounds to me like that was the way that you met the budget intent of the of the owner in the sports facility in the soccer stadium that you're talking about. But it also something you mentioned earlier before we started recording was that technology and architecture are kind of intrinsically linked together. I, I know there's a lot of people in our profession who do not see it that way. Right. Um, but but you're saying that that's your point of view, which is and I, I think it's mine, too. It's it, that these things are linked together and they are what give you the flexibility to do what you did, which was not walk away from a project and say, no, man, like you can only do it for 40 million dollars. You said we're going to find a way to do it for 20 million. And, and in that way, you were very adaptive to the problem at, at hand. And then I'm sure that technology played a big part into that and that kind of feeds us into this idea of exploring prefab and before that had you done any prefab stuff or was it just uh permanent at that point yeah it it was it was it was stick build i should say not permanent um yeah it was all stick build yeah i mean there's been you know my previous place there was ideas about you know pop-up things or i you know like you know, how you can expand a stadium to 25,000 when it's only 18. Like, these are all great things and necessary, you know, things like for a football stadium to be able to host a World Cup match and they don't have the capacity or whatever. Um, it's always been just about the bleachers or the grandstands or the seating, right? But but I started thinking about, about like, now I don't I don't have a suite at a place, right? Like I know I know they're expensive, but like I also know that there's a lot of attrition associated to that, right? Because I have a lot of friends in the premium business, right? Meaning people who work for clubs that sell premium inventory, and because there's they're pretty much they're pretty expensive. Maybe there there's a lot of turnover, right? So I, I you know I thought about like you know as we start watching robotics and you know I'm like you know like you know robotics is amazing and you know. It's elevating so so fast. It's like you know, you know. There's there's examples of 3D printed homes, and there's 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 examples of a lot of things in the way that 3D printing is really becoming, um, you know, quickly aw- obvious to people. 
I'm not saying that people are ready to accept it. Uh, and of course, the, the, the authorities having jurisdictions, you know, that's a whole different situation. But I thought about like, what if like, what if we could just 3D print suites, right? What if one year Evan and Tom want their suites to look suite to look like this? We could just print it, right? And then next year they don't renew their contract. Like, shouldn't the club or the entity have the ability? Is it possible to have this like machine that's floating in the rafters going back and forth like a printer and just making, you know, because they're all 12 by 12, you know, 12 by 24 boxes. Like there's no real magic to them. Right. The magic is just where they're at, you know. Yeah. So I just, you know, just started trying to think about it and, and look for an opportunity to have a conversation with a client that was open minded about it. And I think that is much I mean, it's true that in this case, one of the owners was an international um, uh, individual who, in Europe, they it's not unlike it's not uncommon to be more progressive, right? Like, like their buildings aren't all the SoFi is an amazing building, right? Like exceptional, but Europe's not not they don't need they don't need that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, most of the the tier two tier, you know clubs and soccer have little boutique stadiums because it's about, it's about their culture. It's about the thing, right? Like, you know, it's the NFL that needs the, 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 you know, the, the thing, which I, I get it because it's, it's a, it's an amazing business and, and, you know, it's what it is, but it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And it's very, it's only for 32 people to be frank, right? It's only for the 32 that, that are out there. So this particular client was willing to listen to it and let me kind of, do some road mapping and exploration and he supported it. And then, and it became a pretty cool concept. So now you have, I would say that there's a couple examples domestically. You, you have obviously have you know, the Phoenix stadium was, would be 1.0, you know, that's how I caught past that 1.0. And, and then 2.0 is what inner inner Miami CF just did down in, in Fort Lauderdale. They just built a semi-permanent slash permanent facility and and they 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 use some prefabrication module aspects, but so it's getting closer. And I have two clients. I can't tell say it online, but um, one's very close, and we're really going to push the envelope, and it's going to be spectacular. And I'm gonna I will say right now that you're only going to know it's using module and prefabrication because I'm going to be affiliated with it, and people are going to be like, oh well, it, you know, whatever. But you won't be able to tell. You won't be able to tell. Yeah, interesting. I mean. It seems to me like you're using, I, I guess I already said it, but it, you're using technology to keep your ability to be adaptive to whatever opportunity shows up and not just saying, I'm going to do it like I've always done it. I'm always, I'm going to always, every time you're looking at this is kind of a fresh opportunity. And I think a lot of firms have a hard time being that adaptable because being able to repeat the process is where a lot of firms make their money, right? So being that adaptable, how how have you as a firm and, you know, you're producing the drawings and you're coming up with these ways to assemble parts, whether those are already assemblies of parts instead of, instead of just intent of like, here's a wall, what's that? You figure out what that's made out of, but like, how, how are you guys adapting to that as a firm? So it's, it's a, it's a great question. And you, and you, you made a lot of good nuggets in there about you make money when you repeat things. Right. When you when you when you don't have to spend time, you know, exploring and you're, you just kind of like you're on rinse, repeat, rinse, figuring it out from scratch, it's volume time, right? driven. Yeah. Right. 
I, you know, yes, that's how you control your bottom line. That's how you ensure you're, you're, you know, you're putting the same people in the same spot to do the same thing, right? Come second nature. I mean, you put a bookshelf together, it takes you four hours. You do the second one, it takes you three hours. You do this third one, it takes you 20 minutes, right? And, and that's how the architectural profession in the sports entertainment world operates typically. Now, I would argue that they're doing that because it's volume driven, right? And if you automate and use technology to influence and enhance your process, that this seems like so simple to me, and, and maybe it is, but the time you spend on rinsing and repeating, why don't you just automate it? If it's the same thing every time, why are you even doing it? Right? So then you can offload that time and allocate it to having fun and being an architect and coming up with a cool but idea. Ha- but so many firms do not automate that. And they, they, they always default back to, no, we're going to draw this parking lot. Like it's a different parking lot, but it's made up of the same exact components as the last parking lot. It might have a different layout, but it, they just continue to operate like that. Why? How did you convince O-Sport to not operate like that? Maybe a different way of saying it. Hey, I am in a senior leadership role here. So, so I have more authority. What I say goes. Yeah, I have a lot more authority, <laughs> but it's a good question. Trust, right? Like, I think it's, 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 it's just like, look, like, here's why and here's how. And, and you know, if, if, as long as it's planned and it's, you know, you do your homework, I, I would never, you know, take a new software and deploy it, right, without knowing how to deploy it. But again, I, I, we automate as much as we can to allow us to have some free time, if you will. Spend your time on better stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like you don't, I don't need to do, this one's funny. Like I love the parking lot example because it's not far removed from the one I use, but drawing indexes, right. On a, on a stadium and arena project or a ballpark project, there's, there's hundreds of sheets. Right. You know, with the architecture and the engineering and the civil and all the stuff. Right. It's like they're, they're the Most of the companies are, are still are still like kind of doing that, like categorically are just kind of like doing it like a sp- Excel spreadsheet. Right. Without having, you know, linking it in. And you know what I mean? Like and it's like it, it's just a labor labor intensive thing. And they're probably full of error. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You know, I had one one uh, boss a long time ago. Uh, said it's you know that's your free throw right you can't miss that one if you screw up the title block or the index or something that's super common like you know how do you have trust with the client so you know i i think just you know having a plan and and it, and you know a smart person is able to ascertain within minutes if somebody's bullshitting them or not i would argue you know what i mean so if you've done your homework you've talked to the right people you know how stack module works. You know what, you know, Vector Medina is and who created it, why they created it. And, you know, you, you start to tell those stories and you've had conversations with them. Then somebody telling you about how you would deploy a module or a prefabricated or, you know, a, 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 an alternative delivery method. It starts to make more sense because there's more facts supporting it and supporting people, supporting them, giving them questions. We just had a conversation with them the other day. I have a client to ask about you know, they want zero wait times, right? It's like, phew, that's a statement. You know what I mean? Like, like, how do you do that? 
You're like, talking about it, like lines, cues and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Food, concessions, restrooms, you know, um, ingress, egress into the building. User experience in a, in a facility like that, that would be. Yeah. Incredible. And then like, but, but you still got to, you know, run models and you got to evaluate it. And, and you and me talking about how Evan and Tom is going to leave section 101, seat A, row five type of thing to go to that concession back. Like that's subjective. You know what I mean? So, but if you, if you're modeling these things out and creating models, digital models to, to simulate that, that's not subjective. Disney's been doing that for years. You know what I mean? To control the circulation of the space, using technology to control where people go, right? Like Disney just released this genie plus thing um, where, you know, you put in all your parameters of what you like to do and they set up an agenda for you. Right. And then if your agenda and my agenda are, are, or likes are similar, we're going at the same time. They just, readjust the agenda so that you and I aren't, you know, bumping into each other all day in theory. Right. Like, but, uh, but it's the same thing, you know, um, just trying to peek around the corner and see what's next and how can it help you? Because I'm, you know, it's, it's not, my brother wrote a book one time. It's called, uh, your outsourcers outsourcer will be a robot. And it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating because it's just like, you know, everything we do could, could be offloaded by technology. The only thing in our industry, and, and, and of course, I'm not sure if I'm exactly right on this, is, again, people should work for people or work with people they like. And you, you know what I mean? You, tech challenge, you can't, can't make that decision. So there's still, that's why I love architecture, because you can still be, a, you know, I love just, you know, being a part of it and having fun doing it. And like, there's nothing more fun than, and rewarding than seeing an owner see the building built for the first time. Like that's just, I don't care what kind of building it is. It's like, wow, that's what we did. Yes. That's what we did. You know, we being everybody. Yep. Right. The team. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. Arc IT. This time we've got another fantastic review of Arc IT from somebody working in our industry. Here's a quote. Our company has worked with ArcIT for many years. They are very skilled, competent, thoughtful, and thoroughly professional network experts. They have helped us resolve mission-critical issues on more than a few occasions. Due to their in-depth IT knowledge and the tech industry in general, we regularly consult with them before embarking on new IT projects. They are highly recommended. And that is a quote by Jackson Ng, who is the Director of Technology at Bar Architects. So... As business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. And for many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know that I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills. Not pleasant. ArcIT, however, is a very different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms. And their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly. And enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope. 
Because Arc IT is highly specialized for our industry, their pricing is on par or in some cases even lower than other IT providers. Arc IT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT type solutions across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at ArcIT for a free consultation. So go to GetArcIT, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com, arc-like architecture in the middle, and click Work With Us. Let's talk about content. What is content? You're probably thinking Revit families. Well, yes, of course. But the reality is that you use dozens of applications in your workflows. How many file types and formats are you using and creating every week? Here's some of the usual suspects, CAD and modeling files like AutoCAD, Civil 3D, Rhino and Revit and SketchUp, visualization files like 3D Studio Max scenes and models, materials and assets, Photos and imagery, including renderings, site context, and snapshots. Project information, like spreadsheets and product cut sheets. URLs for your intranet and external websites. And even marketing assets, like your PowerPoint decks and proposals. I wish it wasn't true, but this list just scratches the surface. You know what I'm talking about. We all deal with a lot of data, and this is the new problem. The good news is, if it's digital... Avail can handle it. Avail has seen more than a thousand different file types in their platform. They've taken a very holistic approach to content management problems in the AEC market. Most of the time, someone in a firm is looking to solve a specific problem like Revit family storage. But the fact of the matter is that you should be solving for the longer term. Avail future-proofs your technology investment. Go to getavail.com today to learn more. NCARB's analysis of practice study is your opportunity to shape the future of architecture. Participate in this industry-wide survey to share your experiences and insights from working in architecture, engineering, or construction. Your feedback will help guide changes to what being a licensed architect looks like and impact how architects collaborate with other professionals in the future. Whether you're an architect or you work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. Make sure your voice is heard. Contribute to the analysis of practice study today. Sign up at ncarb.org slash AOP. And now let's get back to our conversation. So let's get back to this, this, the prefab stuff. I would love it if you could take me on a journey of what you've done in prefab from where you started to where you are now. Because I know like when we met at the AEC Accelerate AEC conference in New York City, you were talking about a particular project. And I think when, when people think prefab, they could think a lot of different things, right? You could think parts, panels, actual spaces, structure in your case, you know, like think, so, so take us down this road of, of what you guys have experienced in your journey in prefab. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's, it's fun. Um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a part and pieces type of journey, uh, meaning, you know, on certain projects, it's deployed a little bit here or there. But, you know, the, the one that I'm very optimistic and hopeful that 
um, it becomes very public in the next next quarter or so. Um, I mean, we're really trying to figure out, you know, to me, prefabrication is also the way we deliver the project, right? It's not just about me drawing a shipping container and modifying it or a pod or creating, you know, let PCL Agile create this, this, this hotel room or a suite, which are essentially the same thing. In fact, my six-year-old son, he won't, every time he asks me, like every time we go to the Rowdies game or the Rays game, he's like, are we in the hotel room again? You know what I mean? It's like, cause he, it's comfortable to him. Right. But the point is it's just, just the same thing. Right. So, so really deploying how we can, um, we how we can look at traditional spaces and try to build them and draw them and ideate them differently. But it's also about how we have conversations with contractors, right? Like what is the, what is the stream between when an owner comes to an architect to come up with an idea or validate the feasibility of a concept in a project. Like my next call is usually to a trusted advisor in the construction world and say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Do you like, I, I want, they, they have this vision. I could come up with a cool image. I could let you price it. And then they could say, that's too much money. Right. Or why don't we just kind of like come at this from a design, build design assist strategy right out of the gate and come up with this, the, the technique and the imagery. We'll come up with the concept and then let's figure out how to put this thing together, reverse engineer it. So I've spent, I would say the number one thing that we've done and I've done over the last three, four years is really define what that reverse engineering looks like and then try to defend it and try to help pe- educate people on why it makes sense for them, why a construction company, A, should entertain this and how we communicate that to more, most importantly, to an authority having jurisdiction about why, you know, if meets the Florida building code. Or it's it, it complies with California code and all that stuff like that. There's been a lot of that in the first three to four years for me, right? Okay, I already want to go off on a tangent, so hopefully we'll get back to where where you were going with that. But okay, so why prefab? Like, because I know there's a lot of firms out there who think they need to offer prefab as a as an option for their clients, whether it's based on speed or or. You know, they think they're going to get more projects because it's going to expand their capabilities. Or what was it for you guys that really unlocked it as something you had to figure out how to do? Well, I think had's a pretty big word. I, I don't think that I don't think I would say I had to. I think what I would say is I wanted to like I, I, I just wanted to explore if it was feasible. Like it was I, I mean, I think that's the fairest way to think about why I went down that road with 1904, because as an architect, I, I thrive on solving problems. And I feel like I was, you know, I was like, well, man, all this stuff around me, I'm seeing all these examples of how companies are doing different things and looking at other sectors. Is there a way, is there a plausible path down the road where we could do this? And the more and farther I got down that path, there was just checking one box after the other. And I don't think it's just prefab. I, I think, you know, you know, it's only been three to four years, four to five years. So it's still, I would say, still in its infancy for sure. And I'm still learning every day. I mean, I talked to, you know, there's a conference, um, the World of Modular, which is a pretty interesting conference. And, and you go to that conference and it's, and it's about hotels and, you know, the, you know, small boutique things and some multifamily housing in California, that kind of stuff. That's where it's being deployed. And the, but the more I go, it's just like, there's, then I learn more about technology, right? Like then I learn more about like how they track it, how they, how like the, the, you're talking about 
like parts and pieces. Like, like to me, do you know how many times I've drawn a, a curtain wall on a building and it has a different type of metal panel? And I have like, I have 285 panel Bs and 3,800 panel Cs. And it's just a spreadsheet, a very, you know, very linearly thought of type of thing. And it's like, it's consuming. And they've already figured that out. They've already figured out how to track different types of units and which, which just makes my life easier. So again, I don't think it's had, I think it was a want and, uh, and now it's just kind of interesting to me, but it could be anything. I mean, I just, for me right now, it's, it's, it's just, how can I leverage, you know, alternative construction and alternative thinking to, to traditional bricks and stick type of groups. For what purpose? Um, Why? Well, I think it's more cost effective. I think it's more responsible to deploy money. You know, you can't ignore that, you know, stadiums usually involve a public commitment and a private commitment. And public commitments are either a penny tax or some sort of TIF or some sort of land access. There's, there's, there's always something that Tom and Evan and other experience as a resident, as a community member, that, that you have to commit to it, right? So again, being, being socially responsible, like, yeah, is an architect's commission larger on an 80 million versus a 40? Of course, right? Would that be nice? Yes. But like, it's also not right, in my opinion. And maybe, maybe I, that's where I deploy, like, maybe that's where I differ and where I kind of go off my own Tom Chaparkoff tangent. It's like, my job is to solve a problem. I, and I, and small projects are just as complicated as big projects. And so I, I think it's just kind of like, for me, it's, it, I feel like it's my civic duty and that might be cliche, but it's true. So are all these projects, private, public partnership type projects? Most of them, yeah. if not. Yeah. Yeah. High, high majority. What's it like when you're going through that process of, you know, explaining the project? I mean, obviously we're talking about what I used to call a multi-headed client, right? There was, you're convincing the owners, you're convincing the public, you're convincing the people who are going to use the project. You're trying to convince the people who are never going to use the project, who are still going to, you know, throw in their penny for it, right? So what, what is that like in the sports world? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of front-facing um, community meetings, you know, a lot of, a lot of presentation decks gets tailored differently. You know I mean? You know, you, 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 you get into even things about like sports lighting and how that impacts the neighborhood down the street, you know, about how, how late am I going to hear, you know, the, the aluminum bats of a baseball, you know, being hit, you know, on a, on a, on a Wednesday night. How, okay. You're bringing 10,000 people into my neighborhood. How, you know, what, what's that going to do for me as a, as a resident? So, um, I mean, no differently than your experience. It's, it's, it's really just educating people on why we're doing what we're doing and, you know, what are the tactics? And for me, you know, the, the general public doesn't necessarily care how it gets built. I would say, I would say that they have blinders on in that because it's just not, it's not within their understanding or in interest level, quite frankly. Um, and then for the, so as long as you like you communicate that we're being effective about it and it's going to look really nice, it's going to provide value. And this is how you can use it on Sunday when it's not being used on you know Saturday. And um, so there's a lot of that. But for the AHJ, the authority having jurisdiction, it's it's a lot about like explaining how they're going to build it. Right. So that they because, you know, traditionally speaking, there's a, you know, a rough inspection, a plumbing inspection, an electrical inspection. And the inspector goes out there and he and she is monitoring. That's not you're not able to do that 
in certain scenarios, right? So saying, okay, well, listen, we're going to build, here's the schedule and these 15 pods or these 200 pods are going to be built this period at this factory. Now, we, then you bring in a third party inspector that's approved by the city or the county or the state or the municipalities controlling that. And then you involve them in the process from the start. So um, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of communication front end work. I would say that there's probably, if hypothetically say schematic design was three months, there's probably six months to nine months on, you know, of, of front facing pre-work to, to, you know, kind of enter, you know, educate everybody what we're doing, what we want to do. And in those months, those, those durations are just, you know, for, for in theory, I mean, it's much longer. Like we talked about casually about some of these projects take five, 10 years. Yeah. I, I had flashbacks, uh, bad flashbacks when you were talking about like environmental impact reports <laughs> about lighting and the sound of bats. And yeah, I've done plenty of sports field type stuff where it's like bring in the Musco lighting and, and we got to do the, the, all the studies and we got to, it takes a long time to get all the, uh, anyway, I don't want to go anywhere with that, but I just, I just want to let you know, you triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like living in Florida, it's like, Oh man, I love sea turtles. Like, and every time we do something near the water, right. That's a real thing. It's like, you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think most people are, once you, again, going back to, you know, why, I mean, I think once people know and see examples and, and know that you're being mindful with, with the dollars, I think people just appreciate it. Yeah. That, you know, that level of transparency. I hope that's the right word for that, but yeah, that. No, it is. It's a great word. Yeah. I mean, that's what you have to do. So within reason, when you guys are using prefab, I, I think I know the answer to this, but my guess is <clears throat> because you're building a bunch of modules off in the factory. And then this thing just seems to kind of magically get built in a short period of time because people aren't seeing that happen because it's all happening offsite. And then it just shows up and it's like, boom, I bet there's a lot of value in that alone. Just, just the perception of, you know, the, the people who are paying for it, number one, because it's like, wow, progress. Like when you see that stuff going up, it's incredible especially at the speed at which it does. But I would also assume kind of the neighborhood around it sees it like that too. It's like their, their process of living through construction is way shorter, potentially. Schedule has always been a big factor. I have to admit 100% that I haven't really even added that, what you just said, as a pro to the list because I, I literally haven't necessarily qualified that. And that's a fact. Like we talk about the schedule, you know, it takes 20 months to d- design something and it takes two years to build. Okay. Let's just say, let's just scale. Let's provide some scale. I'm talking about a 25,000 seat collegiate D1 football stadium. Okay. That's not like the big house or the horseshoe or, you know, or, or the Rose Bowl or something like, you know, what, th- you know, that's a, that's a four year commitment, but f- for 24 to 30 months of that four years, there's site displacement construction trailers, backhoes, bulldozers, everything you just described. Coming and going, you know, you know, through the thing. Does so to noise pollution and yeah, traffic right. stoppages and util, you know, the streets are getting dug up to put in utilities, yeah. all that stuff. It's just like the day-to-day nuisance of living near a construction zone. So when we talk about schedule, we historically think talk about it in like the benefit to the to the client being able to open the doors quicker. Right. Because the minute the doors open and then, you know, it triggers a lot of financial benefits. Right. You know, in winter months in a northern climate. Right. You can't you know, you're not you're not laying turf down in, in 
January, February, and March in, in, you know, anywhere in New England or anywhere north of, of the, you know, Mason-Dixon line for that matter. And uh, so we talk about how it speeds up construction because, like you said, in December and January, you can be fabricating all the units that you need, right? And then come March and April when it's clear, boom, and they go up, right? So it's, it speeds up that piece. But but you're but you're 100% right. I mean, like the other, in, in addition to just speeding up and being able to work through a whole season or four seasons in a, in a, in a snowy climate, a winter climate, is the value. And then in addition, you just, the residential is impact. And I honestly, um, I, I never really spoke about that. Like I never even thought about it per se, you know? Yeah. It's interesting to think about. I mean, one of the things I, I visited a prefab modular plant and they said they start with logistics and architects rarely have to think about logistics, right? Usually that's the, the, the contractor's job to figure that out. And they want to do the 4D the 4D planning and they want it, you know, the phasing and where's the lay down area and where, where's all this stuff. We don't usually have to worry about that as architects, but, but have you had to think about that more going into prefab or not? I mean, I think, uh, yes, the answer is yes. And in fact, earlier we are talking, you know, about re- reverse engineering it, right? Like, like that's what you have to do. Like you got to figure out there are something like, again, it, I owe it to Disney because in 2008, when, when I when I worked there on, on Fantasyland, you know, we had this, this they, we called it the coaster in a bottle, right? Because we developed all of Fantasyland, and then there was an attraction in the middle of Fantasyland. And then that, for lots of reasons, that particular attraction got shelved, and we came up with a new idea, okay? And that idea took long to develop, so now it was out of queue. So now all of Fantasyland is being built, and there's this hole. So then... We had to figure out, like, how do you get to it? Where do you put stuff? When You can't have back. It's a theme park. You can't have construction workers going. You can't sever a walkway, right? Like, so it really became a logistical puzzle. And then we started thinking about how you could articulate certain things to accommodate said logistics. So I think that there was, that's an extreme example. But, like, you know, there's there's a lot of places that are on, on like the river or, or like you, you, you don't have a place to lay down or the lay downs two, three, four blocks away, uh, if not farther. And I, I think it's really a big part of it. Um, and, um, and stadiums are, are big, big venues, right? Like, I mean, you know, rakers and seating bowls, you know, usually span 24 feet, you know, whatever. And I mean, they're big pieces, right? It's, a, it's you know, it's like building a 10 story parking garage. I mean, it, that there's a significant amount of area to put precast. And you want to talk about that. People don't realize like a parking garage is a prefabricated building. You know what I mean? Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) I I think about the logistics part of it. And I worked with a guy who built boats before architecture. And obviously that's, that's a prefab job right there. Right. And they're being built in a factory somewhere. And then they got to get them to wherever they're going to go, whatever that body of water is. And so bridge heights, lane widths, and a lot of these things are design constraints, right? So people don't necessarily think of logistical things like that as being design constraints. It's, they, they probably think about it the other way around. Like, okay, well, now, now that we've designed this thing, how can, we, how can we actually prefab it in parts and then assemble it on site? And, and with a boat, you're talking about like a monocoque shell, right? It's, you can't do that, right? So with prefab modular 
you do have these transportation constraints. You've got permitting, you've got roadway widths and bridge heights and hours of the day. And, and now you've got even crazier stuff where like, you know, certain people can't even cross certain state lines, stuff like that. Right. So do you guys have people on staff or is this all about partnerships with the the contractor? Yes, it's definitely about partnerships. So no, we don't have people on staff, but I'll give you some examples. Like, you know, in 1904, it was, we, we talked about, okay, the plants in Idaho, we're going to San Diego, we're going to Oceanside in this case. It's like, all right, so we talked to, you know, there's in the prefabrication module world, you know, it's, you have, you have entities that build, then you have entities that transport and you have entities that stack, you know what I mean? And so, you know, the, the prefabricator is not the guy or the entity that's stacking. So, you know, kind of, you know, I call that the three-legged stool, right? Like, let's get us together and figure out what your route is and when the schedule. You know, in 1904, we ended up setting, if you remember the diagram I shared, it was like, they gave us a constraint. It was like, we can go 40 feet long and we can go 15 feet wide because our route, that's, that's what we can do without pulling special permits and without having to travel between two o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. We thought about all that. And then, and then we, you know, so again, logistics first. And then articulating the design and then in a, in a, in right size in that reconciling that to any of the criteria. And like, that's the other one that makes me chuckle is like, well, I don't know why I said chuckle. I've never really said that before. <laughs> You're getting old, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, I, like I laughed at like people like, Oh, well, that's an unnecessary design constraint. I'm like, is it like, I, I think it's pretty unnecessary when we dig in the ground and we find, that, you know, it used to be a Sherwin, Sherwin-Williams factory, you know, 20 years ago. That's a pretty unnecessary, you know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of design challenges. Like, and, and this one's actually easy to solve for. So. It's a known quantity. Yeah, it's not like you're opening something up and you don't know what you're going to find. It's, yeah, that whole reverse engineering thing, I think, is a, a, a really great way to kind of sum that up. But it's something that, again, architects don't necessarily have to think of. And so when it comes to that, part of it again this is kind of a mindset shift which is no we're going to figure this out before we start designing so that everything happens smoother you've worked in other offices where that wasn't anything that you had to think about what was what was it like changing the mindset so that that could happen within the firm that you you're at now or or was it already there no i don't think it was i mean i think i think again going back you know, it, I've, I have enough collateral and data and and um, and information that was presented. So, okay, here's here's how it would be deployed. Here are the partners, right? So then it just became, all right, well, who what would it would be the project type and who's the good? You have to have the perfect owner to do it, right? You have to have an owner that is willing to trust the process. An owner, there are some owners that want to see how the sausage is being made, and there are some that just don't care, right? Like. And that's their prerogative. And um, so in our case here, again, I, I just, it's just like, look, here, here's, here's this project we're working on. Here's the conversations we've had. And, and here's what we want to do. And the owner's down for it. And this is how we're going to do it. And we have a roadmap in place. Um, I will also say that O Sports has a senior person on our leadership committee that spent 32 years in the construction business. So, so we like to think, again, as proof to, is in the pudding, like, we think about it and want to think about it at a deeper level, right? This is no longer, and it isn't, and it shouldn't be any, it's, you know, coming up with a radical design and a a really beautiful, thoughtful design doesn't change, 
right? Like those things need to happen and those need to happen artistically and creatively and without limits, right? Like great design comes from just ideas and, and working through them, right? But once their general idea is, is, is realized and accommodated and accepted, then, you know, then it's like, okay, so let, let's, let's find out what the goals are. Let's, what are the priorities? Right. And then, and then Robert on our team, you know, helps us and others. I mean, I've, I've leveraged Robert many years before he joined O sports, but, um, and others, I have other, you know, I, 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 I think my the construction partners are some of my closest friends because it's like, it's like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Well, you know, what do you think is, you know, better for this climate or this thing is like, you know, is it, is this berm better than an elevated seating bowl or whatever, right? Like it's not, a, I shouldn't be doing that. Like I should be relying on the people who can control that. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, you know, when you talk like that and you operate like that, it's easier just to support it. So I think that's why it, the, the idea, the idea works here at O sports. It's interesting. Just keying in on a couple of things you said about, you know, loving problem solving as an architect, that's, that's the thing that you enjoy the most. And then also thinking about things at a deeper level, you guys have figured out a bunch of stuff when it comes to prefab and logistics and all that stuff. How valuable does that translate? What kind of value does that translate into for future projects? All right. Because I would assume that not every firm thinks like that. Right. And, and because they don't, they don't get the same kinds of opportunities that you have. So can you put something to that just to just to give an idea of what that's been like for you guys? Well, I mean, like a value. I mean, you know, the, the other thing I think the value is is also has um, I mean, safety is important in this, too. We haven't really talked about that, like quality control. The value is really better quality control. You know, like people build things in factories because it's organized and it's safer, you know, like your, 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 the ship example that you alluded to that your friend um, is a participant of, like, like I, I tell people, you know, like a lot of times they build the staterooms upside down because it's easier to lay conduit and electrical pipes and stuff, you know, downwards instead of doing this on a ladder. You know, I've wrenched my shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And then they flip it over with a giant magnet. I mean, the value is, is quality and control, right? Because it's all, it's, 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 it's inspected. It's exact. It's, 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 you know, to the millimeter. Um, so I think the value is probably uh, in the quality is, is a lot better. And I think that's the first thing a client sees. I could see a client really valuing that because that is probably likely the only project that they're going to do. But what about the value to you as a firm and that information and that process that you take to the next and to the next? Like you said, you this, you're you're four five years into this. You're, you still see it. It's early, but man, you guys have done like a master class in this kind of work, right? And that translates to the next client, to the next client, and it's this constant build of evolving knowledge. Yeah, I have people call me all the time, say, "Hey, I'm doing an a, an office tower." As an example, here's one. I, I'm doing an office tower that has a podium in New York City. You know, we we really it's an office, so it's a it's a podium. Garage, office, residences, residences, and they're like, you know, the residences is easy to prefab. Like we 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 can call Gerdon Building Systems and they can they can make the rooms for us, no problem. Um, but what about the podium? What about a room that's not you know twelve by twenty by forty, right? And 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 uh, so you know they we they commissioned us to kind of show them how they would do it, right? So I'm not even the architect on the project. I'm just demonstrating. 
a different way of thinking. And we ended up doing this thing. I said, I said, stop thinking about a floor, a wall, and a roof. Think about, think about the space. Think about, you know, like, like it's, 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 it's designed by deletion, right? It's like your quintessential figure ground. Like, like look at the space and figure out how you can organize a, a, a space within a space. And, and in this particular scenario, I said, I said, you want a grand hall in this design. There's a big podium with this big lobby, like free, like, you know, it's like 50 feet without a column, right? A traditional, just a really nice little thing. I said, just don't, just, that's nothing. Nothing has to be there, right? You pour con- traditional slab, right? Traditional construction, you, you know, that's your floor, okay? Now you, you do your pods and, you know, I mean, there's certain rules you need, like you need, obviously you need four corners, four posts and whatever, but like, then we basically wrapped the main space with units, leaving the roofs, the walls off, and then the void became the space. And then you then you put everything above it, and um, and it, it came out pretty cool. And uh, so you know that's in the works. And then we we had one client who has all their is soccer um, um, sports client. They have all their press stuff on the ground level, and they want to move it up top. So they're like, well, we have this whole building facade and like how are we going to do that like how are we going to move all this or build stuff up there i'm like let's build it like a dresser let's build the rooms crane over slide them underneath the canopy and we vetted that out and it looks like it's super super plausible right so now they don't have to tear the facade apart they don't have to you know what i mean now we're just going to treat you know we need a bigger crane which is an impact but um it's still super doable and then the value to us is like, you know, people keep calling the, the, the client that the project we're working on, it's very, very, very close that I think they're going to announce very soon. Knew of what happened in San Diego, right? They, they saw that because I presented that a couple of times. The, the soccer league, you know, promoted it for there for a little while. And, and then this kind of like, well, I mean, let's go talk to Tom. Let's go talk to, you know, the, the, the Osborne Engineering Company in O-Sports and see, see if they can help us. And then we just started listening. Right. And then trying to figure out if it was if it was if it was a fit. And uh, and it is. So they saw that as innovative. Did you think it was innovative when you started that project or did you just think we're just going to solve this problem? And this this is the path we chose. You know, it's funny you ask me that because I I can without doubt, I don't think it was innovative. I thought it was me responding to what others are doing around me and implying it to my profession. Right. Like, no, I think we're behind. And I think the architects and engineers that aren't thinking like us are even further behind. And uh, so, that's, yeah, no, I, I think we're I think we're behind. And I want to I want to at least do my part to try to catch up and to to fix and to better and to, you know, make it make it, you know. Well, and I think that that sh- that shows because you present the work and by publicly presenting the work. Right. It ends up on the Internet at some point <laughs> by very public. I mean, that that your willingness to share, I think is what makes that so interesting. There's a lot of firms out there who would, that would be their secret sauce and nobody would know how they did it. But, but that also has given you exposure to future clients as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes back to, I like, that's why it's my hobby. Because if I have an idea and somebody takes it, that's enjoy that, that like gives me pride, right? Like if, if it's open the source, it takes, <laughs> it is like, like it is. Like the only thing that's proprietary is my brain, right? Like everything else is, is, is a product, right? Like anything that comes out of it on paper, 
everyone has access to it. You could you could task me and say, I don't know, say, can you find the floor plans to X building? Give me a week or two weeks, three weeks tops. I'll find it. You know what I mean? Because it, it's 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 not that's not. And just because you find an idea doesn't mean you can make the idea. Like you have to you have to you have to put energy into that. Execution is so, the hard part. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm not worried about that. And if and if if I can inspire people to think about it, then then I then that's even better. Yeah, I think when you said earlier that we're behind, I mean, we is the profession. It's not, it's not O sports, right? Uh, and, and you might even see O sports, like it's not where you want it to go. You, you maybe aren't satisfied yet. Like it's an evolution, right? But you want to be evolving faster, um, as fast as possible. I don't even want to say you want to evolve faster than everybody else. Like the whole profession does need to move up the ladder here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to change quickly. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's not like, I don't want to evolve just to evolve. I mean, that's the other distinction. Like I want to evolve that maintains what we're doing, what I'm doing as an architect. I want, I want it to, to explore new ways. I want to, I mean, like if I did something over and over and over and over again, it, it, it would just, it would, I wouldn't be an architect. I just wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? I would I would go back to what I wanted to do in the first place and be a mascot. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah, no, so so I it's it's I you know, I just think that there's a lot of things that can make us more successful and allow us and my team included to be able to enjoy what we do by not grinding on the things we don't need to do. Yeah. And I appreciate that you you take it upon yourself to share that with with others. I think that's that's key for for that overall evolution like you said so that we can not be behind everybody else yeah so what are you excited about let's let's finish off here and what what are you excited about in your practice of architecture and your world of of sport and and all things tom yeah well i'm excited that um you know sports architecture uh and the construction world has a whole new wave of activity coming in in front of us and you know, people generally are more aware. And I think what, what, one of the good things that if there's any good thing, I'm trying to find a silver lining of COVID, but like COVID displaced a lot of people and put people in different roles. So now there are a lot of people doing things that they didn't necessarily think they would ever be doing. So now you have, now you like, you know, you, you used the word earlier and we're talking about innovation and you can't innovate when you don't do anything different. Right. You put the same people on the same thing. They're going to do the same thing. It just might be a different color. And and uh, so now I'm excited about people being in different places and and people bringing new ideas to the table and and, and owners being willing to listen to it and, and consider it. Um, so I'm excited about that. I think there's going to be some really ra- I mean, like SoFi Stadium is an amazing building. Right. Do I do I think that the price tag is I don't think it'll ever happen again. But but. You know, if there was a $3 billion project, you know, they, that's a beautiful building. And the Super Bowl is going to show it off eloquently and it's going to be amazing. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of things that come out of 2022 and 20 to, to 2029-30 that are going to be just just revolutionary designs and building products. And so I'm super excited about that in our industry. And for me, I'm just I'm excited to be at the helm of O-Sports to be able to at least be put our company in a position to to do our part. You know, so, um, yeah, that's what I'm excited about for sure. SoFi Stadium maybe did cost a lot of money, but it also is the reason why the Rams are in the Super Bowl. 
we can say that as architects. I mean, I mean, the build, it, it's the reason the building is the reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> put a price on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when we did when we did the uh, not like it was my previous company, but when I was at the previous company doing um, the the Jaguars Performance Center, the original one with the amphitheater project, you know, the Jags went like twelve and four, you know, and it was like because of the indoors, because <laughs> of the music venue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know what? It's it's. It, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's. I don't know. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but uh, but it's it's it is pretty coincidental. But you know what? Tampa Bay was in the Super Bowl last year, and it was in Tampa. So you know, crazier things have happened. And uh, but yeah, no. I mean, I just I'm generally excited about you know like even the fact that you know you and I met as architects, and now you're doing this this component, which is really awesome. Which you're gonna, you know, I've been, you know, since I since I've tried to start following you, it's 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 just about spreading the word and connecting dots. And uh, you know, one thing that I'll always do is try to stay friendly with people that I meet. Like, you know, that's, I'm pretty good at that. You know, like I when I meet people that I really think can provide value, I try to stay in their peripheral. I, I love what you said a minute ago about how you see people in different positions or doing different things because of that displacement that occurred during COVID. And I, I do feel similarly myself, right? So getting out of my, and this, this is maybe cliche at this point, but like out of working in the profession to working on the profession is a very different perspective. And it forces me to, I don't know, be very unsure of myself and what my capabilities are, but then work harder to try to achieve things that, it is harder to apply that to a whole profession than it is to one firm even, but it, by getting that new perspective, there is value there and it keeps you fresh. It also keeps you a little scared. I think that that that's important to point out. You gotta be humble. And, and I don't know who said it, but you know, I mean, you, you gotta surround yourself by smarter people, you know, and, and, uh, and there are a lot of incredible people and, and you're never the smartest one in the room. You know what I mean? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to anyone. Maybe. Then again, I have met seven billionaires and they've all been incredibly smart. Every single one of them. It's incredible. Um, but you get what I'm saying. I'm like, like, you can't think you're the smartest one. And, and, if, and if you're in a position to put people in a room, you shouldn't be the smartest one in the room. You know? And I think, I think that our, our profession is aligning to where that is a fact. And, and you know, because there are a lot of smart people, but you don't know everything about everything. And that's um, an interesting thing because I think a lot of architects feel like they have to have all the answers when it when it comes into those situations. But that's just naive and stupid. So I mean, like it. it no, like, like I told I tell my my younger people, I'm like, look. So actually, this one particular person that works for me, I, I gave her, I gave everyone these books, and I wrote notes to them, and I told her, I said, push yourself. Like, I'm not gonna let you fail. Like, just, just go as hard as you can and do whatever you want to do. Because, like, you, she's going to learn something that I don't know. And I need to, people should enable people to want to learn without being afraid of failing. I have this coffee cup that is, I don't know where it is. Um, it's, a, it's your, 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 your uh, like, Cape Canaveral launch thing. I don't know where it is. And it says failure is not an option. And I carry this cup around. For years, this thing's got to be 25 years old. And I keep it now because I laugh at it. Because I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. Like, how can you succeed if you don't know what failure is? Like, you have to fail to make it. So I think it's funny that NASA, the company that failed, 
<laughs> the company that failed because they didn't think like Elon Musk thought. You know what I mean? Like I, so I use that cub and, uh, and it's a reminder to, to just keep just not to be naive. A lesson in a cup. That's awesome. A lesson in a cup. <laughs> sure is. Well, Tom, thanks for hanging out today and, and catching up. This has been fantastic. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. it's my pleasure. And uh, obviously, I uh, hope we can see each other soon in person. I would love for you to just tell everybody where they can follow along with what O Sports and, and you are doing. Yeah, so um, osports.com um, is uh, the website. Uh, o Sports is a, a brand of the Osborne Engineering Company, which is you know a 130-year-old sports firm and um, out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, really cool stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, check us out. And I'm always about, uh, you know, Tom Chuparkoff is my Twitter handle, Tom underscore Chuparkoff. Um, I'm pretty active on social media. And, and uh, you know, for those who don't know me yet, you know, when I say it's my hobby and it's fun, it's true because you'll meet my family via social media and see all kinds of stupid stuff I do to myself to, you know, torture myself in my golf game and that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're osports.com. All right. Thank you very much. And I'll have links to all that in the show notes for everybody who's following along to make it easy, but appreciate your time. Evan, you're the man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank Arc IT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at getarchit, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. Thanks to NCARB for their support of this podcast episode. Visit ncarb.org slash AOP and contribute to the analysis of practice survey today. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.